Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskrityam Naram Chaivan Narotamam Devim Sarasutim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udiraye Nashta Prayeshwa Bhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki Antaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai Canto 3 Oh, this is, okay, chapter, is this the verse? Okay, 26 Canto 3, chapter 32, Entanglement and Fruitive Activities Text 26. So we'll just recite the first, recite the verse, and then we'll go through the word for word. Jnana matram param brahma, paramatmeshvara puman, Trishyadibi Pritagbhaver Bhagavan Eka Iyate Jnana Matram Param Brahma Paramat Meshvara Puman Trishyadibi Pritagbhaver Bhagavan Eka Iyate Jnana Matram Param Brahma Paramat Meshvara Puman Trishyadibi Pritagbhaver Bhagavan Eka Iyate Yeah, 
Anamatram param brahma Paramatmeshwara Trishyadivi Pritak Bhavar Bhagavanika Iyate Word for word Jnana Knowledge Matram Only Param Transcendental Brahma Brahman Paramatma Paramatma Ishvara, the controller. Puman, super soul. Drishyadibi, by philosophical research and other processes. Pritagbhavai, according to different processes of understanding. Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Eka, alone. Iyate, is perceived. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace. A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai. The purport is um, almost two pages, so... Prepare yourself, focus, and it's pretty philosophical. The first time I read through it, I was like, okay, so, uh, okay. Translation, the Supreme Personality of Godhead alone is complete transcendental knowledge. But according to the different processes of understanding, he appears differently, either as impersonal Brahman, as Paramatma, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or as the Purusha Avatars. Please repeat. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, alone, is complete transcendental knowledge. But according to the different processes of understanding, he appears differently. Either as impersonal Brahman, as Paramatma, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or as the Purusha Avatar. Purport The word Drishyadibi is significant. According to Jiva Goswami, Drishi means jnana, philosophical research. By different processes, of philosophical research under different concepts, such as the process of jnana yoga, the same Bhagavan, or Supreme Personality of Godhead, is understood as impersonal Brahman, as impersonal Brahman, 
Similarly, by the Eightfold Yoga system, he appears as the Paramatma. But in pure Krishna consciousness, or knowledge in purity, when one tries to understand the Absolute Truth, one realizes him as the Supreme Person. The transcendence is realized simply on the basis of knowledge. The words used here, Paramatmeshvara Puman, are all transcendental, and they refer to Supersoul. Supersoul is also described as Purusha, but the word Bhagavan directly refers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is full of six opulences, wealth, fame, strength, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. He is the Personality of Godhead in different spiritual skies. The various descriptions of Paramatma, Ishvara, and Puman indicate that the expansions of the Supreme Godhead are unlimited. Ultimately, to understand the, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one has to accept Bhakti Yoga. By executing Jnana Yoga or Dhyana Yoga, one has to eventually approach the Bhakti Yoga platform. And then Paramatma, Ishvara, Puman, and so on are all clearly understood. It is recommended in the second canto of Srimad Bhagavatam that whether one is a devotee or fruitive actor or liberationist, if he is intelligent enough, he should engage himself with all seriousness in the process of devotional service. It is also explained that whatever one desires, which is obtainable by fruitive activities, even if one wants to be elevated to higher planets, can be achieved simply by execution of devotional service. Since the Supreme Lord is full in six opulences, He can bestow any one of them upon the worshiper. The one Supreme Personality of Godhead reveals Himself to different thinkers as the Supreme Person or Impersonal Brahman or Paramatma. Impersonalists merge into the Impersonal Brahman but that is not achieved by worshipping the impersonal Brahman. If one takes to devotional service and at the same time desires to merge into the existence of the Supreme Lord, he can achieve that. If someone desires at all to merge into the existence of the Supreme, he has to execute devotional service. The devotee can see the Supreme Lord face to face but the jnani, the empiric philosopher or yogi, cannot. They cannot be elevated to the positions of associates of the Lord. There is no evidence in the scriptures stating that by cultivating knowledge or worshipping the impersonal Brahman, one can become a personal associate of the, per of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Nor by executing the yogic principles can one become an associate of the Supreme Godhead. Impersonal Brahman, being formless, is described as Adrishya because the impersonal effulgence of Brahmajyoti covers the face of the Supreme Lord. Some yogis see the four-handed Vishnu sitting within the heart, and therefore in their case also the Supreme Lord is invisible. Only for the devotees is the Lord visible. 
Here the statement drishyadibi is significant. Since the Supreme Personality of Godhead is both invisible and visible, there are different features of the Lord. The Paramatma feature and Brahman feature are invisible, but the Bhagavan feature is visible. In the Vishnu Purana, this fact is very nicely explained. The universal form of the Lord and the formless Brahman effulgence of the Lord, being invisible, are inferior features. The concept of the universal form is material, and the concept of impersonal Brahman is spiritual. But the highest spiritual understanding is the personality of Godhead. The Vishnu Purana states, Vishnu Brahma Swarupena Swayam Eva Vyavastitihi Vyavastitaha Brahman's real feature is Vishnu, or the Supreme Brahman is Vishnu. Swayam Eva, that is his personal feature. The supreme spiritual conception is the, person, the supreme personality of Godhead. It is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita. Yadgatva nadivartante tadhama paramam mama. That specific abode called paramam mama is the place from which one, once one attains it, one does not return to this miserable conditional life. Every place, every space, and everything belongs to Vishnu. But where he personally lives is Tadhama Paramam, his supreme abode. One has to make one's destination the supreme abode of the Lord. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Oma Jnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Jena Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gora Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So the verse again <coughs> The Supreme Personality of Godhead alone is complete transcendental knowledge, but according to the different processes of understanding, he appears differently, either as impersonal Brahman, as Paramatma, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or as the Purusha avatars. Did this verse bring any other verse to mind for those of you who are pundits in the room? I can repeat it if you want. Ten twelve from the Gita. Param Brahma. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, I think it's ten twelve. I think you're right. Where? Yeah, Param Brahma. So in that verse. Arjuna is um, addressing Krishna as the Param Brahma. He says, you are the Supreme Brahman and the original person. Nice. Yes. 
Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Can you? Okay. The verse is um, from the second canto of Bhagavatam. Very famous verse that every devotee should at least know the concept of it because it's uh, very important in our discussions with people introducing them to Krishna consciousness, understanding uh, what is the nature of God. <coughs> so the verse is Varanti tattva vidas tattvam yajjnanam advayam brameti paramatmeti bhagavan iti shabdyate and it's describing that transcendentalists will approach the absolute truth uh, or realize the absolute truth in these three different ways which are also described in this verse today so Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. And Prabhupada gives a very nice purport in that verse, explaining how these uh, three different realizations are different angles of vision of the same absolute truth. Right, And many of us, probably all of us, have heard some of the analogies that are there. Right? The common one is approaching a mountain from a very distant place. Initially, it kind of just looks like a one color, kind of dark purplish or something. Then you get closer and you see, oh, okay, there, it's got like variety on it. And then you actually go on to the mountain and there's like living beings there and there's things happening. And so it's, you're looking at the, you're, you're approaching the same thing and you have a different experience of it. So this is uh, crucial, I would say, for people to understand as we present Krishna consciousness to them. Uh, because when we talk about you see word generally in secular society and it brings up uh, many, many connotations, feelings, most of them negative, for most people. Uh, but when we're talking about God in the Vedic conception, it's much more complete. So we hear Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan. And the whole science, this, this whole Bhagavatam is uh, basically a complete description of what is God? Who is God? What is the absolute truth? Right? We're, we're hearing about all, all the different um, pastimes, all the different forms, all the different qualities of the supreme absolute truth. And being pointed to and stressed over and over again to uh, approach that absolute truth in the personal uh, in a personal way. So approaching the Bhagavan, the personality of Godhead. So Prabhupada was making that point in this purport that ultimately to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead one has to accept Bhakti Yoga. And he's making the point that, uh, where did he say? To achieve anything actually, to achieve any result one has to have some devotion. 
He even makes the point that if someone desires at all even to merge into the existence of the Supreme, which is basically means that there's no devotion there. It's just you're merging and you become homogenous. He says, even to do that, one has to execute devotional service. Did that stand out to anyone else? I was like, wow, that's pretty far out. Yeah. Wait, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. So, Prabhupada, well, I'll just read this whole paragraph. For, there's two points that came out. One is that if one wants to um, merge into the existence of the Supreme, he says he has to execute devotional. So even to achieve the goal of just merging, one has to have some devotion. And Uddhava was mentioning that uh, at the beginning of that, Prabhupada says, uh, impersonalists merge into the impersonal Brahman, but that is not achieved by worshipping the impersonal Brahman. If one takes to devotional service and at the same time desires to merge into the existence of the Supreme Lord, he can achieve that. So same point, basically, that uh, even by uh, whatever your goal is, performing bhakti can get you that goal in the best way. And he quotes the verse that was also quoted last night during the Bhagavad Gita reading. Did anyone catch that one? That was paraphrased. Yeah, akama sarvakamo va. That what, whoever you are, whatever desires you have, whatever your goal is, even if you have a different goal, still, tivrena uh, bhakti yogena. One should seriously and intensely practice bhakti yoga for the ultimate perfection. So, <clears throat> Prabhupada also in the purport stresses. Uh, this phrase, drishyadi bi, which means, uh, in the word for word, it says, by philosophical research and other processes. So, there are so many different processes of achieving knowledge, of gaining knowledge, right? And I wanted to talk about this a little bit and look into, uh, try to get a deeper understanding of, you know, what are these processes, what are their goals, and um, why is there so much stress on, um, at least this was my experience, that in general, uh, religion, it wasn't so much about understanding as it was just about believing, or just following the rituals, or... Yeah, and it was only when I came across Bhagavatam that there was so much stress in, uh, or not necessarily stress, but that need to also understand the Absolute Truth was being fulfilled. Because I remember growing up, yeah, there was, you know, wanting to be a good person, go to church, you know, believe in God... And then also there was like serious um, questioning of like, well, why and 
questions that we need answered in life. And it was only when I came in touch with uh, Bhakti that I saw the harmony, that there was faith there, and there was also uh, deep and thorough philosophical discussion and explanation. So this is needed when, it, when, when we're talking about understanding, when we're talking about approaching the divine, we also have to understand, uh, understand the divine. And in the Vedic conception, uh, there are processes of coming to understand the absolute truth. And before we get there, talking about the Vedic processes, it's, it's, I find it helpful also to think about, even in just secular society, when we are talking about educating people, there are many different processes. There philosophies about, you know, what is the best way to educate people. Um, there's the, you know, the traditionalists, you know, just do it by the book, just put it on the table, and write, and it's very clear um, as far as the process goes. There was a book that was written in the 80s, I think, um, pretty famous, and I read some of it when I was studying, because I studied music education, so I learned a lot about pedagogy and things like that. And this book was called um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and very famous, um, and it made kind of waves around the um, education world, because this the author was basically breaking down the traditional educational system and showing how it's making people less than ideal, from what I recall. I didn't read the whole book, but. So that was kind of, you know, there's traditionalist sort of, uh, you can say, basic ways of teaching that maybe the process is really clear, but it's not really bringing people to the highest result, right? So we can see that similarly in different processes that there's ways, for example, karma kanda, it's like, you know, okay, you want to get a good wife, worship this demigod, you want to be rich, do this, you know, follow the rules, and this is what you get, you know. But, and it might be very clear and even attractive people to follow that process, but it's not giving them the ultimate goal, it's still keeping them very much just within which is as we know, um, limited. So then there's more, uh, you can say, liberal-minded or um, more progressive ways of educating. So in society today, there's things like um, different philosophies like Montessori school has a specific process of, you know, philosophy how to educate people, to engage them creatively and independently. And it's a whole um, philosophy of how to educate. And it seems that generally as the process becomes a little more liberal-minded than, uh, or as 
as the um, ed yeah as the edu educational process becomes more progressive, the process of actually what you do becomes a little subtler, like not so clear cut. You know, it's not just like okay, just sit down on the desk, follow the rules, close your mouth. You know. So similarly, in the Vedic process, it becomes like that, that, okay, karmakanda, it's pretty clear, you just follow the rules, this is the result you get, you know. And then jnana, kanda, it's like a little subtler. Okay, let's philosophize about the world, and uh, still not so clear, like, what is the actual goal, but, you know, we want to talk about what is, you know, eternal, what is eternal, what temporary, and be detached, right? Uh, it, it gets gradually cooler, right? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the basically like using one's power of the intellect to explore things, whether it's through logic or through uh, experimental viewing of knowledge. Yeah. The eightfold mystic yoga system. Yeah. Thank you. The yoga Ashtanga yoga, right? The whole yoga process, and. So how, how is it that one achieves knowledge through 
yoga. Can you say more about that? Yeah, now. Yeah, so it's, that's a pretty, uh, pretty clear-cut process, right? Okay, follow these rules and regulations, you know, live a clean life. First of all, all the yogis today, they don't know that. They just skip over the yama and niyama. You know, just start touching your toes and you're good. But, yeah, actual yoga is, you know, before you even start doing the stretches, you have to be, you know, practicing celibacy, you have to be ahimsa, you have to be, you know, following so many um, just basic human um, values in order to have a clean, clear mind. Right? That's another point that's not very commonly understood today is that knowledge depends on one's lifestyle. You can't just go out and, you know, engage in abominable activities and then come to work on Monday and expect that your mind is going to be able to perceive the most highest, subtlest realities of life. You know. So the yoga process is first of all purifying one's lifestyle and then um, dealing with the body, right? Calming down the body so that one can focus the mind and then gradually um, connect with the super soul in the heart. Right? So it's a gradual process that's bringing one to the Paramatma realization. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because the external excellence of these areas are quite fascinating for them. Yeah. Not, not in, in their validity to them, but in their validity to Vedic astrology, Ayurveda, Dhanurveda, Ashtanga Yoga. There's definitely validity. But as you were asking, like, what, are, what are some traditional processes within the Vedic paradigm of Vedic? I think you were asking that, right? Yeah, what are, what are different ways within the Vedic process, you know, Vedic paradigm? Of gaining knowledge. Right. Yeah, and that's attractive to people today because everybody's interested in being healthy, right? Interested in their bodies. And this is a whole different way of uh, looking at your body, right? Like Western medicine is all just about, I don't know, it's just, it's just a machine, you know, just like put a band aid over it or, you know. Just fill things, you know, if like the lungs are flowing, then just like pump oxygen into them or something and uh, take an Advil, yeah. Whereas, 
Uh, Ayurvedic medicine is more holistic. It's all about balance. And it's kind of like, it's a whole philosophy of like how to see the world. So that's attractive to people. And the point that you made about how um, these other processes can be kind of flashy, right? Especially like yoga and um, we're talking about like mystic yoga processes. Of course, not many people can do the, those these days, but well, there is in recent history, you know, so many different yogis in India who would like produce some miracle and say that they were God. Yeah. I heard that there was one thing where you, you swallow a piece of cloth to like clean out your intestines or something like that. But you can't let it go too far because then if you swallow it, then you just have a piece of cloth in your mouth, in your stomach. So, yeah, these are very uh, flashy and they can uh, seem like the ultimate goal. You know, the ultimate goal is to be able to produce some ashes in my hand. I did it, you know. And then it's like, okay, but um, you're still going to die. So many things. So they're very flashy. And I was thinking about also in relation to knowledge in general. You know, I taught music lessons, specifically private drum lessons for a number of years. And I find it helpful to look at the parallels. Um, we were kind of talking about this, how um, one can, you know, be distracted by different sort of side, side routes on the process of uh, gaining knowledge, you know. So for me, I was teaching, I liked music, you know, and I felt that I got a lot out of it. And I wanted to impart that um, love of music to others, right? And, but you don't do that initially, right? Someone comes in and you, you just got to teach them, okay, this is how you hold the sticks. This is the beat that you play, right? And so their conception at the beginning is very closed. It's just, okay, I have to just like play this beat right here. They're not thinking like, yeah, music is the most amazing gift of God. And I, I've learned some, it's a, they can't conceive of that yet. They're just very closed-minded. And so for a teacher who might want, that's their ultimate goal. I want them to achieve that love of music, right? At a certain stage, they just have to keep it. Okay, this is how you play the, you know, this is how you hold it, this is how you play. But then gradually as the person progresses, a good teacher will also expand the uh, conception of what they're learning. Okay, now you know how to play. So then let's like talk about different styles. You know, here's this kind of style, here's this kind of style, and what do you think about this? And they gradually expand the um, conception of the student, right? But say there's a teacher who is just like a, you know, die hard, like 80s rock uh, drummer, right? And I want all my students to become just like, you know, Van Halen. <laughs> And so that's what they do. They just, they just uh, funnel them, you know? Okay, you've got to play this like this. And no, don't worry about that style of music. It's all about just being like these people, right? So it's a closed-minded way of understanding. So similarly, this is 
what happens in the Vedic conception is the ultimate goal, ultimate conclusion of the Vedas is love of God. And that's what the Bhagavatam is bringing us to. But there are other teachers who are imparting knowledge to people and funneling them in different ways according to their conception. But the Bhagavatam is not doing that. The Bhagavatam is actually teaching us uh, through the process of bhakti what that ultimate goal is. And this is what's so amazing. Like if you have a really master, say there's a master teacher who is very liberal-minded. I, I love um, music and I want others to achieve that love also and take it wherever it takes them. Have it take them wherever. Then their process, they still give the basic processes, right? Okay, this is how you hold, this is how you play. But then they can help the person progress as they are ready. So this is what's being given in the process of bhakti. We have initial stages, sadhana bhakti. You come into the temple, you bow your head down, you see the deities, you chant the holy name, uh, you hear lectures from the devotees, you hear about Krishna, and uh, you live a clean life, follow these regulative principles. And, and then as one gets steady in that, then there's a next level, next level, next level, right? And this is what's being given by our uh, parampara. Rupa Goswami is outlining from the very basic principles. It's, and it's not that one has to go through karma and jnana. One can take the bhakti from the, any stage, from any stage of life, and they can take to bhakti and be progressed to the ultimate goal of love of God. So this is what a master teacher will do. They can give the basic processes and also help the student to actually make progressive um, progress towards the ultimate goal. So, So we can feel very grateful. I feel very grateful for that. And uh, maybe we can take some time now for comments and questions. Ten minutes.
entertainment, sense gratification, whatever it is. All right, then saying, just go to Krishna. But what am I going to say? Well, I'm in the middle of to Krishna, so maybe it's safer just to go to, you know, back to Vegas. Because, hmm. you know, it's Krishna, so, you know, how do you easily take away? Uh, so it seems like the idea, though, is that one that may not know about that quality of Krishna, so just go to Krishna, and then one will get purified. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking of a few things while you were reflecting, but one was um, just thinking about like how Srila Prabhupada preached in the early days and inspired people to go towards Krishna. Um, despite, you know, whatever they were doing in their life or whatever they um, had that might not have been like to the ultimate standard, they didn't even, they weren't even aware of what that standard was. But they were, by Prabhupada's influence, they were inspired to Krishna. And uh, with Tivrena, you know, with like a lot of enthusiasm. And by doing that, they became purified. And it's kind of like similar to the concept of karma yoga that, you know, say, I like this activity, so let me do this activity for Krishna, you know. And at the beginning of that process, I'm, I'm just liking doing the activity and then I'm giving it to Krishna, the results to Krishna. But then as one gets purified through that, then you start to realize that, oh, actually, I just like pleasing Krishna more than I like doing that activity. So it's a, um, yeah, Krishna is the ultimate, uh, what is the word? Yeah, just turn on the...
There's a wider conception. Yeah. yeah. Mamekam Sharanam Mam Ekam Krishna saying just me. Thank you. Just be his 
against my desires. It wouldn't be providing me intelligence to find, you know, what I'm looking for. And it wouldn't be all about, like, my needs. It would have its own... It would have independent existence. Yeah. of my existence and then only through bhakti can one actually enter into understanding and perceiving that right. absolute truth which is why so many religious systems or religious expressions deal with you know uh, oh well give us a daily bread because you can actually make that prayer and have it answered or have a sense that someone is like hearing you but that's still a for bringing that up. For those of you who don't know, we were basically out of flowers yesterday or
Yeah, so Krishna, so yeah, I was just trying to get the stories for those of you who don't know that uh, Krishna basically uh, just decided he wanted more flowers and brought them, delivered them through his uh, instruments yesterday. And it was exciting for some of the devotees here. Mother Nindra. There's that instance where devotees said, Prabhupada, we just want to distribute your books life after life. And he said something like, this is perfection. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I can just say one quick thing. Um, it's a much larger conversation that can be had, but... Um, that the last two verses of the Shikshastakam kind of harmonize the idea of um, having a hankering and desire to be with Krishna or in this case, you know, be in the Holy Dham and then at the same time being fully surrendered and open to whatever Krishna wants. You know, like in the seventh verse, Lord Chaitanya is saying that you know, without you, the whole universe is vacant. Even for a moment, it feels like millions of years. And that's like the amount of hankering that he's feeling for being with the Lord. And then in the last verse, he says, Whatever you do, if you trample me down or if you torture me by not being present before me, you can do that because I'm surrendered to you. So, just uh, 
quick thought on that. And there could be a whole conversation on, you know, what does it mean to go back to Godhead? What is the Dom and all of that? Um, but I heard that point nicely described once about the, those last two verses have a very special connection. That there's a hankering and at the same time, um, hands are up, whatever you desire. So. Okay, Rantarat Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Samabeda Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai.